And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open uh, now uh, to with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. This passage that we've been uh, looking at over these past a couple weeks, the last week and this week, is kind of a, a very key passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. Abram, Abraham is a very key figure in all the Bible, and even the New Testament, uh, uh, we, we saw that last week in, in, Genesis, in, in Galatians. Uh, Paul deals with uh, a lot of, um, deals with a lot of, of uh, about Abram and Abraham, and, and, and this covenant that God creates with Abram is, is it, it goes throughout the rest of the Scripture. In fact, there's, when you look at the, up to this point in time, uh, you have this, uh, some people call a covenant that God creates with, with Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And then you have a covenant that God creates with Noah after the flood. God uh, makes a covenant with Noah and says that he'll never flood the entire world again. Uh, and we, we have that sign being the, the rainbow. I know there's a lot of, sometimes people debate about, you know, Noah's flood. Was it a local flood, global flood? Well, God promised to never destroy the earth again with the with flood. We always have local floods. Even here in Colport a few years ago, we had a local flood. And so if God, if it was a local flood, then that promise isn't true. But if it's a global flood, as the Bible makes it clear it was, then, then God continues to keep his word and never destroys, and will never destroy the earth with a global flood ever again. But these covenants are so important. But the problem is this, is in, in our culture today, in, in Abram's culture, in, in the Old Testament culture, covenants were a, a typical thing that people made between, especially a king making it between uh, a servant and so forth. In our culture today, we don't talk about covenants too much. And so when we see here God making a covenant with Abram, we, we sometimes think to ourselves, oh, that, that has to deal with like, almost like a contract. And, and, and a covenant is a little bit different than a contract. In fact, if you're following along there in your, your outline, uh, that's kind of the first point because this is so important for us to understand, you know, what is God doing here? What is God promising to Abram here? And, and what's going on with all these details with this Abram cutting these two, these animals in the two, and, and God is like walking in, like what's happening here? And it's all part of this covenant ceremony that happens, and we'll see as we play out. But a covenant, if you had to say, you know, what is a covenant? What by definition would be this? It is a binding relationship, a binding relationship between two parties in which each pledges to perform some service for the other. In other words, they, there's an oath-bound promise. The best example that we have still in our culture today is marriage. In fact, really in our culture, that is the only thing that we have a covenant with uh, in, in our culture is a marriage. And you think about that marriage ceremony. You have the, uh, you have the, the man and, and the woman, and they're coming together, and they're making promises to each other. Some of those promises are this. If you want to, this is the uh, the HIPAA term. I, the the uh, the new days is, is listen. You're stuck with me forever, regardless of what happens. Sickness and health, richer for poor, and it goes on and on. You're promising to each other that that from this day forward, 
No matter what life throws at us, we, we, could, be, uh, we could be rich, we could be poor, uh, I could be sick, yeah, and, and health, it doesn't matter. We are committing ourselves to each other. We're entering this covenant with each other that we are together until when? Until death parts us. What happens nowadays in our culture is that is a covenant that people are making and, I, and I've heard this from, from even many believers. They say, well, well, it's okay for that person to divorce that person because they weren't, commi- they weren't upholding their end of the bargain. It's a covenant. And a covenant is totally different than a contract. A covenant, even if the other person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, guess what? It doesn't matter. You're still committed. You're still in that relationship. Whereas a contract is different. A contract, again, if you're following along the alley, this is the second way, is a written, a, an agreement between two or more parties. It's a written or spoken agreement between two or more parties or persons for doing or not doing something. And it's usually by law. And this is where you sometimes you get into what uh, sometimes if this contract, you sit down, you, you agree, hey, we're going to do this, this person is going to do this, and then you actually sign your name on the dotted line that you've agreed. What happens is that person doesn't fulfill their end of the bargain. They're in call, considered breach of contract, which means the contract then can be thrown out. And you, there's a way to do that through the court of law. But a covenant can never be thrown out. When you enter a covenant, it lasts. And that's the main difference here. And when you get into this section of Genesis 15, we have seen God making some promises to Abram. And, 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 and starting then, and really it comes down to these, these two things, God's promises to Abram. First one is that God promises that he is going to give them Abram many descendants. Right now there's a problem. Right now you have Abram and, and Sarai, his, his wife, not having any children. But God, over and over again, this is the third time that God has promised to Abram that you're going to have many descendants, that I'm going to make you into a great nation. You can go back uh, to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Genesis 13 verses 11 through 15 15 and 16. And here God promises again, I'm going to give you many descendants. As numerous, your descendants, as numerous as the dust, Genesis 13. As numerous as the stars in the sky, Genesis 15. That's a promise that God gave to Abram. But God also gave to Abram not only many descendants, but also land. The land of Canaan, and we, and we read that uh, towards the end here, where all these nations of, of people groups that are scattered all throughout the whole entire area right now, God says, I am going to give this land to your descendants. I want to make you a great nation, and they're going to live here in the land of Canaan. They're going to live, in fact, your land is going to go all the way down from Egypt all the way over to the, the Euphrates River. That's how big the promised land was supposed to be. Israel never got it. And Joshua explains, the book of Joshua explains why. But that was what God promised to Abram. The land of Canaan was to be given to his descendants. 
And then all of a sudden, we saw last week this uh, a key verse, verse 6, that, that he, referring to Abram, believed in the Lord. And God declared him righteous. He put his faith and trust in God in these promises and said, God, okay, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I'm trusting in you. And then you have, you know, again, Abram was very honest with God here. He asked God, now how can this be? You know, God, you're going to bless me in the very first part of Genesis 15. God, you want to bless me? That's fantastic, but there's a problem. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for these blessings you've given to me, but that my servant would be the one to inherit them. I don't have any kids. And God says, don't worry. I'll take care of that. And he believed in those promises. Then in verse 7, he says, he says, um, he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, uh, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And then he says, well, okay, God, that's wonderful, but how is this going to be? How do I know that this is really going to be true? And so God cuts. God reveals his plan to Abram, and God cuts or makes a covenant with Abram. And that's what that, in, in verse... Um, 18 there. In verse 18 where it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The Hebrew word for made is actually cut. God cuts a covenant with Abram. And you see, and you'll see kind of how, why it's described that way when you start seeing that what, what Abram does to the animals here in a few moments. But I have the date there, around 2083 B.C. And the reason why that's so important because of what God reveals to Abram here in the next few moments of, of what's going to happen to his descendants. But God makes a covenant. God says, Abram asks, how do I know this is going to happen? How do I know that you're really going to give me a descendant? How do I know that you're really going to allow my descendants to inherit this land? How do I know? And God says, okay, let me make a covenant with you. Let me enter into a binding relationship with you that is based upon my character. Abram, you know who I am already that I am an almighty, powerful God, that I am the, 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 the one true God, the, uh, the, the ultimate God. And so let's enter into this relationship that cannot be undone. So the first thing we see here in, in verse 20, uh, so he then goes on and talks about in, uh, in all the land. But we jump back up to verse 9 where God... Is, Abraham prepares this time where God is coming and cutting this covenant. In verse 9, God says to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so there's going to be the sacrifice. That was typical of a covenant. When, when you entered into a covenant, there was this, there was this time of, of eating and celebration, but there was this time of sacrifice. There was a whole uh, a time where, where this was to be played out. And what happens in verse 10, he brings them all these things to him, and he cuts them in two, and that's the reason why we say a covenant is cut. Because Abram takes those animals and literally 
cuts them in half down the middle. He places one piece on each side. And so you have this scene. Abram's out in the, in the field there. He brings all these animals uh, to, to, uh, to himself. He slaughters them. He cuts them in half. He puts half of them on this side. He puts a half of them on this side. It says he didn't cut the birds in half because of them being small. But that's what the, the ceremony of entering into a covenant was all about. It was a formal binding agreement. And why were the animals cut into two? Because it was a symbol. It was a sign that if the parties, that if the parties went against their word, what happened to these animals would happen to the person entering into that covenant. So here's God coming to Abram and says, you, you want to know how, you want to know, you know, how do you know that these promises are going to come true? Here it is. I'm going to enter a covenant with you and, and take these animals, cut them in half, separate them, and guess what? This is what will happen to me, referring to God. This is what will happen to God if he doesn't keep his word. The animals are cut into two. This is what will happen to God if God doesn't keep his word. That was a symbol. That was a sign. When that person entered a relationship, meaning if I don't keep my word in this covenant relationship, then what happened to these animals, may it happen to me. And this is a very serious relationship back in that day. A binding relationship that cannot be undone. And so you have God entering into this covenant relationship with Abram. And basically saying, Abram, if you want to know how do I, how do I plan on doing this, you want to know that, that you can count on these promises that I've given you, that you're going to have many descendants, that you're going to have this land, you can count on my word because I'm making, I'm cutting a covenant with you. And if I don't keep my word, then what happened to these animals, let it happen to me. I want to read kind of give us a little bit more understanding of, again, these covenants uh, is so, sometimes going to be so foreign to us in realizing that the, the covenant is uh, uh, because we don't have them in our culture. But I want to read from Jeremiah 34. Jeremiah 34, verses 18 through 21 here. And, and here is, is God coming to the nation of Israel and, and talking about, you know, this is what, because of them, in verse 18, and I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant. In other words, I've cut a covenant with the nation of Israel. Our plants are falling here. I cut a covenant with the nation of Israel. And, and because of their transgressions, because of them going back on their covenant, because of their not keeping their word to me, this is what's going to happen to them. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made with me, when they cut the calf in two, and they passed between the parts of it. Again, that was part of the that was part of making a covenant. You cut the animals in two. You passed in between the the parts of it. And what, what happens in Genesis? That's what God does. So they made a covenant with God. But they went back on their word. So God says this, verse 19, 
the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for me, for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And I will give uh, Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. In other words, God is saying through prophet Jeremiah, listen, you made a covenant. You went back on your word. Guess what? You're going to be destroyed. The nation of Judah is going to be done. And I'm going to send you into exile. But God's covenant with Abram, God is saying, listen, you ask the question, how do I know that these things are going to happen to me? Guess what? I'm going to enter this binding relationship that is based upon my character. And if I don't do these things, then what happens to these animals can be done to me. But we know who God is, don't we? Abram knew who God's character was. Even just reading through Genesis 1-14, through you can begin to realize and understand that God is a faithful God. He always, always keeps His promises. One reason why I put that date in there for Abram when, about when God creates His covenant is because God goes and tells Abram, there, these, this is some very important details that I want you to realize that's going to happen before I give the land to your descendants. Verse 13, God says to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers or foreigners in the land that is not theirs. So as God is making this covenant, this binding relationship, saying, Abram, you can count on my word because I'm going, it's based upon who I am, a faithful God that, can, that keeps his word. He says, I want you to understand something, Abram, that before I give this land to your descendants, guess what? They're going to live and be strangers and foreigners in, 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 a, in a foreign land. In fact, as they're there as these foreigners in this land, they will be serving the people that they are living among. They will serve them. And not only will they serve them, but this nation that they are living in as foreigners, as strangers, they will afflict them for about 400 years. I hope that as you hear what God's Word says, all of a sudden you think of what's happening here, what God's describing. Verse 14, this nation whom they serve, I will judge them. And afterward, after I judge them, what's going to happen to your descendants? They will come out with great possessions. And goes on. Now as for you, now you will go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Abram at this point in time was, was in his probably in his uh, late to mid-80s at this point in time. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God comes to Abram and says, listen, you can count on me. 
I'm entering this binding relationship so you can count and know that what my word, my promises I made to you are true and they will happen. But I want you to realize that before I give the, the descendants, your descendants this land, Abram's descendants will live away from the land for 400 years. Abram's descendants will live away from the land for 400 years. And then God will give them the land or give the land to them. And that's exactly what happens. There's a, a typo in your bulletin. Um, if you want to turn with me to Genesis, Exodus chapter, it's actually chapter 12 and not 13. If you turn to Genesis, Exodus 13, you'll see uh, that there are there is no verse 40 and 41 in, in chapter 13. I apologize for that. It's uh, Exodus chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. Fast forward, and you have after Abram, you have Isaac, his son, you have after Isaac, you have Jacob. You have uh, towards the end of Exodus, you have Joseph being sold into uh, captivity. He goes down to Egypt. At the end of uh, Genesis, you have uh, Jacob. Uh, in, at that point in time, it's called Israel, uh, going down to Exodus and living living there. Seventy people were in his household that went down to Egypt at that time. All of a sudden, you jump uh, into Exodus, and you see that there are many, many years that have passed between between the time that happened there at the end of Ex- uh, Genesis and the beginning parts of Exodus. And you see that all of a sudden, the nation of Israel has become a great nation to the point where the Egyptians are terrified of them, saying that we gotta get, we gotta do something to to kind of uh, keep them under our thumb to make sure that they don't join our enemies with us. And then Moses steps on the scene. The burning bush, of course, uh, God comes to Moses, says, I, I have a plan. I've heard uh, my, my people's cry. They're, they're in their the slavery, is, is suffering. And I'm going to send, my plan is this, to, to rescue them. And I'm going to send you to back to them to bring them out. And of course, the, the scene there, Moses uh, tries to wiggle his way out of it as much as possible. It is interesting, if you uh, watch uh, the Ten Commandments and you watch... Uh, um, the uh, the newer one, the uh, the prince of Egypt. You usually have Moses the, is the main person and the, the only one that goes to Pharaoh. But according to the Bible, you have Moses and his brother Aaron. Aaron was the mouthpiece, the speaker, and Moses was telling Aaron what to say to Pharaoh. And they were working together. And then you have all of a sudden the, the, the plagues that the, we, we uh, see here in uh, Exodus chapter kind of uh, uh, 10, 11, and, and 12 of these plagues where God pretty much says, declares war and says, I'm going to teach the Egyptians who I am. And I'm going to show them that I am the, the, the one true God. Because they worship many, many gods. They, had, they, had, they worship the Nile as, as a god. They worship uh, Pharaoh himself was considered a god. And I'm going to make sure that the, the Egyptians recognize and realize that I am the one true God. But not only that, I'm going to make sure my people, the Israelites, know that I am the one true God. The very last plague happens. The 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. And of course, that's where they get Passover. Pharaoh's son 
dies. The next king in line. Pharaoh kicks out the nation of Israel. And the Exodus happens. You can read uh, Exodus chapter uh, 12, starting there in verse 31 where the Exodus happens. But then you get down to these verses. Exodus chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. That's kind of the summary statement. And sometimes you have to ask yourself the question, you know, why is every single detail that is in the Bible is important? Why does Moses, who's writing this, why does Moses include these two verses? Let me read them. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies or all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Why does Moses include the amount of years that Israel lived in Egypt? Because of the promise that God gave to Abraham. God said to Abram, listen, uh, you can count on these promises. I am going to give you descendants. I am going to give you this land, your descendants this land. But guess what? They're going to come a place where they're going to live away from this land for a while, for about 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them back. In Exodus, God brings back the children of Israel and rescues them. And how many years were they living there in Egypt? For 430 years. Exactly. Some people say, well, it wasn't an exact way. God, in Genesis, God, you can kind of, the wording is, is about, an estimate, about 400 years. And the reason why that's so important is because of this. God's promises to Abram came true. God's promises to Abram came true. This is the third time that God comes to him. Genesis chapter 12, God says, no, leave, your, leave your family, leave everything, pack up your, your camel, you haul and take it to the land that I'm going to show you, that I'm going to give your descendants. I want to make a great nation out of you. He, he does. He obeys. But then you have that scene where, you know, he, he kind of wavered in his trust in God. And he was thinking, God, okay, you're going to make me a great nation, but, you know, uh, how, how are you going to do that when I'm dead? So, so Sarah, lie about uh, who you are. Say that you're my sister, which is uh, kind of true, but not the full truth. And, and then they will let me live, and then maybe these promises of God can come true. Chapter 13, God comes to him again and says, listen, I don't need your help. I promise that these things are going to happen, and they're going to happen. God uses Abram to rescue his nephew Lot. And again, you have these promises in chapter 15 where God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give your descendants this land. And Abram's like, yeah, I understand that, God, but how can this be? I have no children. My servant's going to inherit everything you give me. And God said, no. Don't you remember the two things I promised? Descendants and land. In fact, 
you can make sure and take to the bank what I'm going, to, what I'm telling you, and what I'm promising you, because we're going to enter into a formal covenant binding relationship. That if I don't keep my word, then you can cut me to pieces. You can stop believing me. You can walk away if I don't keep my word. But as you go through the rest of the scripture, you recognize that God did keep his word and God's promises to Abram came true. And the reason why this is so important for us is because of this. God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God. And he always, always keeps his promises. That's why we can trust in His Word. That's why we know that His Word, the Bible, is true. That's why we can stand upon it in the midst of all the, the craziness we see in our world, in the midst of all the, 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 the shiftiness, and the changing as we were singing with greatest life faithfulness. God never changes. God's plan from Genesis, from the very beginning of time until now, has always remained the same. God's Word is true. And we can stand upon it. Over this uh, past week, I've been thinking about I was going entering into a, a, a new year. I always have the time uh, that week in between uh, Christmas and, and New Year's to kind of pause. And to kind of, you know, ask those questions, to reevaluate, if you want to say, reevaluate what my, my life, where I'm at. And, and yes, this year has been crazy. The, the sad reality is I don't think 2021 is going to, all the problems we dealt with 2020 is going to continue in 2021. But, there's one constant. And that is God. We can stand upon His truth, His Word. Because of who He is. He is a faithful God. And we can trust in His promises. We can trust in His Word because He always, always keeps His promises. There is never one time in Scripture where God says, I promise I'm going to do this. And it didn't come true. Which is why when we get to the second coming of Christ, when Jesus says, I promise that I am going to return and, and these are the signs, and this is how you know it's getting closer and closer and closer. We can say beyond a, beyond a shadow of doubt, God's going to return. We know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. God's promises are true. God's Word is true. And we can stand firmly upon that rock of God's Word because He always keeps His promises. God's promises to Abram came true. God is a faithful God. And He always keeps His promises, His word. The final hymn that we're going to sing is uh, um, a popular one of uh, Jesus Never Fails. Uh, that reminder of that earthly friends may prove untrue. Doubts and fears assail. One still loves and cares for you. One who will not fail. And then the chorus, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away. And that's the, the Bible talks about that. That one day, 
the, the physical first heavens and earth, physical world that we live in is going to be passed away. It's going to be gone. But in Revelation, God's going to recreate a new heavens and a new earth, a physical world again that is perfect, that has no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more diseases. Where we will, as His children, dwell with our Heavenly Father for the rest of eternity. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. Now let's stand as we sing our final hymn and declare that truth, that Jesus never fails.